the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into hour two uh, because of uh, the issue of burning sunlight and uh, daylight and uh, that sort of time change thing, which doesn't affect Phoenix and Arizona so much, except in the uh, northernmost reaches, but does affect the setting of the sun. We are delighted to have Rabbi Alush, Rabbi Pinchas Alush, an hour earlier than usual, seasonally adjusted. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, on Shea Boulevard, where he continually reminds all are welcome, religious or not, Jewish or not, observant or not, Jewish or not. He is also the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, which is on Apple Podcasts, and Alush is A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Welcome back to the studio, Rabbi. Thank you. Always a pleasure being uh, being here, and thank you for making the adjustment also. Of course, of course. Uh, there's a lot going on everywhere, understatement of the year. But first and foremost, how's your family? How's your son? Thank you for asking. So I haven't, we haven't heard from our son since Saturday evening. When uh, he was called into Gaza, he's an IDF soldier. For the listeners who do not know, he's a paratrooper in IDF in in the IDF army. Um, but no news is good news in this good. case. Good. So thank you for asking. Give us his name again, so we can keep him in our thoughts and prayers. Oh, thank you, Israel Mordechai Chaim. That's his full name. Israel Mordechai Chaim. That's right. Chaim means life. That's right. Very good. May God give him. A good life. May he protect him and bless him and all of the IDF soldiers and anyone, any good person in harm's way. And may he continue to help protect innocent life. That is, after all, the purpose of why he is doing what he is doing. That's right. That's right. Innocent life. And I will add, I think they are defending and protecting everything that is good under the sun. I agree. And we live in an odd time. It's a confused time. Morality seems to be a bit upside down. Um, Elie Wiesel was once asked, I didn't mean to start here, but as long as we're here, let's get to it, if you're okay with this. Yeah. Elie Wiesel was once asked how he would, um, how he would define uh, the word Shoah, catastrophe. Mm-hmm. He said it's when um, good and evil are put on the same moral plane and the evil receive the countenance, the permission of the just. And I couldn't think of anything uh, more apt or more descriptive of what seems like the world we're living in now from our college campuses to our media. There seems to be this confusion as to what is good and what is evil, or at a minimum, they're both just on the similar moral plane. Right, and that truth and evil even have become uh, somewhat um, subjective when truth should be completely objective and so should good be. Uh, but unfortunately, we're seeing really the uh, distorted people come out with their own truths, which I really have never understood what that means, uh, and uh, paint uh, this new Holocaust that we experienced on October 7th in the most uh, distorted and disgusting way. 
But let us not forget that um, there are good people in this world. And I know that all of your listeners, I'm sure, are very good. They, we stand for good. And let us also not forget that good has always defeated evil in history, and it will defeat it again. We have to have a long view of these things. This kind of gets us into the Torah Bible portion of the weekend, Vayera. Starts at Genesis 18 and the lessons from Abraham, right? There's right. a lot going on, as we were just saying off air. There's a lot going on here in, <laughs> in, this, uh, in this portion of the weekend of the Sabbath. Um, but also an understanding of good and evil, right? I mean, Abraham is pleading with God over the destruction of a city in search of something good, someone good, correct? Right. That's right. Uh, when God announces to Abraham that he has to destroy the city of Sodom, and as we've always mentioned, um, I have to pause. I'm so sorry. Okay, my, it looks like my son is Take calling it. me do it. from the Israeli army. Continue. No, and do it. That's we can the pause. Time we'll hit the, we can hit the break. Okay. Yeah, go. Excuse yourself if you'd like. I Feel free. Him in a week. Hello? Oh, so uh yeah so the rabbi just had to um excuse himself so we can't pause it right as our okay um he's hearing from his son which is in and of itself a blessing it does go back to what i was talking about in my monologue uh earlier today that we used to have pretty good understandings of good and evil and i'll just repeat what i said earlier that these things shouldn't be complicated to apprehend uh, we learned, for example, that um, when David was told the story that there were two men in one city, one rich and one poor, and a rich man had a lot of flock and herd, and the poor man had nothing except for one little lamb, one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and reared. That's all he had. And it grew up together with him and with his children. And as the Bible says, it did eat of his own morsel and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. This was a lamb that was like the family, this poor man's lamb. And a traveler comes to town. There came a traveler unto the rich man. And as it says, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man, the traveling man that was to come to him. And what did he give to the traveling man? What did the rich man do? Did he give of his own flock? No. He took the poor man's lamb, his beloved one ewe lamb, and he gave it to the traveler for his consumption. Nathan tells David this story, and we are told David was quick to anger. And it was, of course, a parable about what David himself had done, and that was the point of what Nathan was telling him the story. But we all understand, we all understand these things under natural law, good and bad. Abraham Lincoln had to do this when it came to slavery. He had to explain things to people, things that they used to know and are really so commonsensical, but they have somehow, through their perversions and political ideologies, forgotten. So, for example, Abraham Lincoln had to take us back to basic logic in understanding good and evil and judgments. When he spoke in one of his, one of my favorite uh, speeches, his sanitation fair speech, um, which he gave towards the end of his life. Of course, he didn't know it was the end of his life. It was, uh, or towards the end of his life, it was uh, last year, 
before he died. And he was talking about how the world had never had a good definition of liberty and how it was in much need of one. He said, we all talk for liberty, but using the same word, we don't mean the same thing. With some, the word liberty may mean for each man to do as he pleases with himself and the product of his labor. While with others, the same word may mean for some men to do as they please with other men and product and the product of other men's labor. He said, here are two not only different but incompatible things called by the same name, liberty. And it follows that each of the things is by the respective parties called by two different and incompatible names, liberty and tyranny. So Lincoln had to take us to basic logic, much like Nathan did with David. And Lincoln said, the shepherd drives the wolf from the sheep's throat, for which the sheep thanks the shepherd as his liberator, while the wolf denounces him for the same act as the destroyer of liberty, especially as the sheep was a black one. Plainly, the sheep and the wolf are not agreed upon a definition of the word liberty, and precisely the same difference prevails today among us human creatures, even in the North, and all professing to love liberty. Hence we behold the process by which thousands are daily passing from under the yoke of bondage that halted by some as the advance of liberty and bewailed by others as the destruction of all liberty. One can make a claim for liberty, though perverted, and have it take hold. One can make a claim for their own autonomy and freedom and have it perverted and take hold. One can make a claim for decency and being on the side of the angels and pervert it and have it take hold. This is what we are seeing, of course, play out in real time and in sharp relief in the Middle East. The perversion is the same one that Nathan was talking about to David, and it's the same one that Lincoln was talking about at the sanitation fair in Baltimore. There can be objective truth, and there is no such thing as subjective truth, because subjective truth simply means not true. It means opinion. And opinions are not facts. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Uh, Rabbi Alush is our guest, but this is a just an interesting moment in radio. He, um, we were talking in the first segment about how his son was doing. His son is a elite uh, in the elite uh, services, a paratrooper with the Israeli Defense Forces who has entered Gaza, and uh, he said he hadn't heard from him in uh, in a, several days. No news was good news, and in the middle of our interview, lo and behold, he was receiving the call. So he's out talking to his son, which is good news. And we certainly don't want to interrupt that um, that um, that uh, update, and hopefully uh, he'll be able to come in and give us further good news. I was thinking about, you know, his son and his absence from the studio for just a moment. And something I'm going to do a little bit later in the show, many of you have heard of, perhaps you've heard of Constantine Kissin, who is an author a writer, uh, British, made himself famous probably about six months ago with a debate at the Oxford Union that went around a lot on YouTube and elsewhere. He has a podcast called Trigonometry, and he gave a speech recently. Some of you may have heard excerpts of it, but the conclusion is quite impactful. And we'll play some of the audio a little later. But in conclusion, what he writes is, what he says is, we are in the fight of our lives. And if courage means 
anything. It means doing the right thing and be willing to take the punishment if you have to. Let me say it again. All death is certain. We do not get to choose whether we live or die. We only get to choose if we live before we die. I want you to think about that. I heard this first on another radio show. I'm trying to remember. I think it might have been Seb's. If we, The only thing we really are able to choose is if we live before we die. And that's really one of the reasons I have, one of the main reasons I am privileged to have and do have Rabbi Aleutian's studio with us, is to talk about what it means not only to understand right and wrong and take those lessons out from the Old Testament where we can, but also how to live a meaningful life. What does it mean to have a meaningful life? A lot of us, you know, a lot of us have friends who are very active and engaged in the community and various charitable enterprises, perhaps with their church, perhaps with their synagogue, perhaps with something else, but they give of their time. And a lot of people just don't do that. They kind of just go through life. They just kind of coast, if you will, through life and try and negotiate the wake that others leave, leave them in. And um, I was talking to a friend the other day who is very active in the community and was thinking about becoming more active and how to become more active in other charitable and civic pursuits. And one of the things this friend was talking to me about was concerns about family time and how much time this person could dedicate and devote to civic and charitable pursuits. And what I pointed out, and my advice is only, as what did Steve Forbes say, the, the easiest part of advice is giving it, and it may not be right, but I think it's right. As someone who has been, I think, almost always uh, just directed in that way, always kind of being part of volunteer and other charitable civic causes, it's just kind of a, a, pull, a pull I have, uh, partly because I hate being bored. Um, and partly because, you know, I was told it was the right thing to do. I saw my parents do this. One of the pieces of advice I gave was, you know, time finds itself. Don't be concerned about having enough time to do things that are important. Don't be concerned. There used to be something called the 80-20 rule, and I've never, I've never really liked it. For one, I don't think it's correct. I think it's more like 95-5 these days. I think there's a lot of incompetence and a lot of laziness and a lot of um, disuetude, just a lot of, you know, insouciance and carelessness and uh, cavalier attitudes about things. I, I think 95% of the work gets done by 5, but it used to be known as the 80 rule, 80-20 rule, 80% of the work gets by 20, done by 20% of the people. And you may find people who are constantly in that 20% constantly busy. There's a reason busy people are busy. There's a reason competent people are busy and competent. Um, one of the things they don't think about is time. Um, they try and suck the marrow out of life. That's a line from Thoreau and on Walden Pond. And if you want to just cross and confuse <laughs> little pieces of literature, you can think of the line in Antimame, to come to the point of death and realize you have never lived is the ultimate tragedy and waste of life. So I was thinking about all of this 
when I heard that Constantine Kissin closed his speech. We do not get to choose whether we live or die. We only get to choose if we live before we die. And I was thinking about that in the perspective of the way so many Americans and really others across the globe handled COVID and how they allowed themselves to be terrified. They allowed themselves to go into isolation. And a wonderful speech that C.S. Lewis gave about how to live in the time of the atomic bomb, which became, I don't know, a little bit viral. It became a little bit popular um, during the COVID period because it was a message to people who would rather cower over COVID, even in light of all the statistics that were showing most of these people that they didn't have that much to actually cower about. But the concluding point that uh, that C.S. Lewis was making was the same one that Constantine Kissin was making, which is we don't get a choice as to whether we're going to live or die. Um, that's already been decided for us. What we get to decide is how will we be found when we are dying. And what C.S. Lewis said is, if we're all going to be destroyed by a bomb or something else, when that something else comes, let it find us doing sensible and human things, like praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint in a game of darts, and not huddled together like frightened sheep, thinking about dangers. Those things may break our bodies. Anything can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. That's the point of a meaningful life. See, the rabbi has walked back in, hopefully with some good news. We will take a commercial break, and he will update us. We couldn't have a better update, it seems to me, telling from the the smile on his punim. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, 19 years of radio. This was uh, really one of the more interesting last 10 minutes. Uh, we have uh, Rabbi uh, Pinchas Alush, our guest and the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts, chief rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, with us. And uh, in the middle of the interview, we had only moments before been talking about his son. And if he had heard from him lately and how he was doing, his son is a paratrooper, the IDF. He said he hadn't heard anything, no news is good news, and then the phone rang. So I don't know what we were conjuring up, but he had to step out. We covered, we did a little C.S. Lewis rabbi, uh, I hope you'll forgive or allow, and uh, we did a little Abraham Lincoln. Um, So give us the update. So first of all, I apologize to your listeners for uh, (laughs) leaving all of a sudden. But people yes. have walked out on me before. I understand for much, <laughs> much okay. worse reasons. It's nothing personal. <laughs> okay. Nothing personal. All I right. promise you. In fact, I've been with glued to my phone all week long. Sure. Um, I haven't slept at night because my phone is next to me, hoping that my son calls me from the front lines in Gaza. Yeah. And yes, he did finally call me uh, during the interview in the previous segment. Um, so, a quick update, if uh, you wish, but. Uh, uh, he was, uh, first of all, very emotional, and so was I, to finally 
uh, reconnect after a grueling week. He's been uh, in this Gaza war as a paratrooper. He's been advancing with the idea of troops into Gaza. He's seen horrors. He, as he's told me, he had a friend die in his arms, as he just told me, on Tuesday. Uh, and he, um, he had a friend who had to quit because he was shell-shocked. Uh, there's just... This is a young 20-year-old. This is a young 20-year-old. A lot happening around him. Bombs, bombs being exploded. He was shot at countless times, he told me. He, thank God, was able to eliminate terrorists, too. Um, it's a war zone. A war zone, maybe like no other war. Uh, but he's staying strong. He feels, as he himself told me, that the souls of his ancestors are with him, that the nation of Israel is with him, and that all good people on earth are with him. And he feels that also because he knows that he's not just fighting for Israel, but he's fighting for them too. I want to um, thank you for that and thank God for that. Um, earlier this week, members of the media were given a, um, a visual briefing, a video and photographic briefing of what happened on October 7th. I don't know if you've seen mm -hmm. the briefing. I haven't seen the briefing, but I've seen the reporters in the room getting the briefing. And these were adult reporters. These are uh, foreign correspondents. These are war correspondents. These are people older than you, you and I. These are people in their f late 50s and 60s who've seen a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were white. They were breaking down and crying. They couldn't handle what they saw. A lot of them couldn't handle what they saw without breaking down. I mean, obviously they're okay, and they didn't. They did. They didn't. They didn't have nervous breakdowns, but they had momentary breakdowns. They were crying and they were horrified by what they saw. Now these are fifty, sixty-year-old, experienced war and foreign correspondents. Just take a moment to think about what it must mean for a twenty-year-old, mm -hmm. and not to see it on film, in a safe room, far away but to see it directly one-on-one. -on -one. The idea of PTSD is going to probably need, the idea of trauma is probably going to need a new phraseology for what these 20-year-olds had to see. Yes. I, you know, uh, I didn't speak to my son about this now in our brief conversation just a few minutes ago, but I did speak to him about this two weeks ago after he, too, uh, was there seeing all he these horrors see, yeah, live he, he saw on October yeah. 7th and, yeah. and a few days thereafter. Uh, what he saw, I can't even describe. And like you said, beheaded people, decapitated women on the floor. I, and I won't, make, uh, I won't give too many nightmares here for your listeners, but um, I will say that he coined the term, this is not PTSD or trauma. He, he said this is trauma of trauma. Yeah, That's how he yeah. called it. Yeah. And, uh, yes, uh, we're going to have to treat him after this war. Of course. Um, but I also know that the spirit of resilience and strength is like I've never seen before. Well, there's only one thing that's going to stop it from expanding or happening again, and it's the exertions of people like your son. Mm -hmm. Maybe we could do a lesson from Abraham on this when we come back. Sure. Rabbi Elushna, I'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts, five minutes a week. Change your life. And uh, the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, House of Prayer on Shea, where he welcomes anyone who would like to go. The weekly biblical or Torah portion is in Genesis, a lot about Abraham. And one of the commentaries I was reading, Rabbi, of why we celebrate Abraham so much, above a lot of other also very well-known characters, Adam and Eve, Noah, um, the commentary I said, uh, I read, said that Abraham challenges God in wiping out Sodom and Gomorrah. He also fights for others and takes personal responsibility. Adam and Eve blame others. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Noah doesn't really try to fix anything. He just kind of simply obeys, but he doesn't really advocate for anything. He doesn't really take up the cause of the defense attorney for the sinful. Uh, Cain, interestingly, this commentator said, and I never thought of it this way, Cain takes personal responsibility. He admits to his crime, but not moral responsibility. Mm. Abraham took all those responsibilities, including moral responsibility. This is what your son's doing. That's true. In many ways, that's what my son and his peers in IDF are doing. Uh, they are not passing the buck, but they're owning it. And it's a, it's a quality that is unfortunately quite rare these days. Uh, but it is always refreshing and encouraging and inspiring too to see that uh, young men like my son can be little Abrahams in their own way. If I may add to that list, you know, Abraham does something even more inspiring. And that is that, as we learn in this week's portion, he's asked to go and sacrifice his son, Isaac. And he immediately agrees. And he wakes up early in the morning to go and fulfill that mission. And it's interesting because when God finally tells him, no, 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 you don't have to sacrifice your son, God then also tells him, now I know that you are God-fearing. In Hebrew. And the big question, of course, that the commentaries ask is, well, now, God, only now? You've given him so many tests. He's the most responsible that you've seen in history thus far, as you pointed out. Only now you know that he's God-fearing? And they point out that, yes, only now God knew that he was fully God-fearing because Abraham was tasked with a mission that went against his nature. See, Abraham was a man of kindness. He welcomed guests. He was out there. But yeah, now God was asking him to go against that quality of kindness, to be a man of justice <clears throat> and perform justice for or g- divine justice against his son. And he was able to perform that. So when God says, sees that Abraham was not just in it for him or in it to be aligned with his natural qualities, but he was in it really for God and he was willing to go against his natural qualities, God says, oh, now I know that you're God-fearing. You know- that's commendable. <clears throat> it's a great point. And it's interesting about Abraham. Perhaps it's interesting about some of the others too. But with regard to Abraham, you know, through his life up until this point, he's not really given reasons. He's just told, you know, pick up your life and move, right? And he's not really given reasons, but he does everything diligently, it seems like. He, and, you know— <laughs> This may be a simple over-asked question, 
But I'm going to raise it anyway because I think it's a question nonetheless that needs answering, which is we don't hear that from God the same way Abraham, or for that matter, Noah, did. How are we to know? And I think the answer, I'd love yours, but my temporary or at least tentative answer is, well, we know by trying to emulate them. I mean, that's why we read these stories every week or every year in repetition. I love that answer. You know, you remind me of that saying that says that if you speak to God, you're a believer. If God speaks to you, you're schizophrenic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, yeah. we don't. Yeah. Careful. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> no, it's a but... big audience, Brad. <laughs> it's a big audience. I'm joking. Okay. I'm joking. God does speak to us through our souls. We have these inside voices that we should pay heed to. That's just a, a cynical line. But you, even though those small inner voices speak to us, which are godly voices, uh, we don't have the type of revelations, divine revelations that Abraham and Noah and Moses and many others had. And uh, the answer, perhaps, is both what you said. God does speak to us through those biblical heroes, but it is also because we've matured in our relationship with God. Oh, good. See, when, our par- when a parent uh, has to raise a young child, he has to speak to that young child all the time, attend to their needs all the time. Once the child grows up, then the parent needs to almost back out and speak a little less, let the child grow his own wings. And in a way, this is what God is expecting of us now. Mm-hmm. He's, he hasn't left the picture, God forbid, but he's giving us that space for us to mature and to grow our own wings. And maybe some space to have some dissent too, and maybe not. I, uh, I've always liked the quote, though I don't know if it's, you know, religiously acceptable of Elie Wiesel's, that we can uh, love God, uh, we can uh, fight God, what we cannot do is ignore God, mm. um, but we can love and fight him, and I suppose in their own way, in his own way, Abraham did a little bit of that, a little bit of that, at least, with regard to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, absolutely, and in many ways... All the greats did that. Moses did that when the Israelites sinned with the sin of the golden calf and God wanted to erase them. And, of course, there's a whole book in the Bible that is all about that, the book of Job, that fights and wrestles with God. And uh, in many ways, that's part of any love relationship. If I love my spouse, it doesn't mean that I'll always agree with my spouse. Because I love her, sometimes I'll even argue with her and disagree with her. But it's part of that love relationship. And that's why Elie Wiesel said what he said, and that's why one of the great Hasidic masters also said, Rabbi Levi Tchakov that you can be with God, you can be against God, but you cannot be without God. So that's where he's getting that from, no mm-hmm. doubt, yeah. Well, as you said, as we said, there was a lot going on in here. Of course, there is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah for want of, a, of, of anyone righteous. And there's this interesting story about Lot and his wife, Lot's wife, and we're going to go to break, and I'm going to let you finish. It's our last segment. Um, I wanted to do this on air today, but I didn't want to do it without you, so I'm glad you could come back, and I'm going to have you finish on this point because if there's a collective um, meaning to all of your podcasts, it's the importance of living today and living uh, living a meaningful life and without doubts, without regrets, without pessimism. And there's an interesting line about Lot's wife 
um, who was turned into salt. And I'm going to let you weigh in on this when we come back. The line is this. When you look back, you become inorganic. That is to say, without life. I'll let you finish the show with that, Rabbi Elush, when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. During the break, Rabbi Elush was apologizing for his absence during the second segment, and uh, young David put it well. He said, we're glad you got that phone call. Just a little more meaningful than what I said, which is it's good to keep me on my toes. I can't just rely on others and be sedentary here. Got to throw me a curveball every once in a while. It's a good curveball to be thrown. Well, both are meaningful. Both statements are meaningful. Uh, Lot's wife turns to salt. And I love the commentary that the meaning, I mean, there's a million meanings, but the meaning that I liked so much is when you look back, you become inorganic without life. You're always about living for today because you never know. The only thing, I mean, I was quoting a guy, Constantine, um, uh, Constantine Christian, earlier in, uh, in your absence, saying that uh, we, all, we all know we're going to die. Um, we don't have a choice about that. We only get to choose if we live before we die. Hmm. That's, that's beautifully said. I will quote also, if we're into quotes now, yeah. I will quote Jean-Paul Sartre. He's a French existentialist, Existentialist, that's right. And uh, he wrote many interesting books. Um, But he says that we do not live every day. We are revived every day. And the question is if we can embrace the life that we are given today. And I, I love that quote because that's really what the story with Lot's wife is all about. She was looking back. She was living in the past. And God was wanting her to look forward into the present and then in the future. And she was unable to do that, so she turns into a pillar of salt. There I ask what many commentaries ask, why a pillar of salt? If God wanted to turn her into something unorganic, which was your quote, then why not turn her into a stone? Why a pillar of salt? And one of the great commentaries from Morocco, a man named Rabbi Chaim Benatar of 400 years ago, says that she was turned into a pillar of salt Because if you think of salt, salt does just that. It constantly deals with what was. For example, you put salt in order to figure out what was in the ingredients. You put salt, you know, to draw out on on wounds sometimes to to suck out the blood that was. Uh Or on a piece of meat. Or on a piece of meat. That's correct. And so, so that's the essence of salt. It deals with the was, uh-huh. what was. Yeah. And that's who she was. And in many ways, God wants us to be in the present. Yeah. He wants us to quit the word was and to embrace the word is. Yeah. And only then can we truly live a life that is meaningful and purposeful. We'll end the hour right there, Rabbi. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much. I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.